Once again, the smartest man in the world, Proofcast, takes to the ether, sometimes in view and sometimes uh, on audio as well. Let's see if that's recording. I think it is. Uh, hooray, hurrah. Uh, everybody's in the house and the spirits are good. Uh, the vibe is right, even though we're wildly in denial. Uh, and it's this great United States ship sails sideways uh, and spinning madly out of control we seek solace in each other's company thank you for joining me what you hear is of course LaBelle the bitchiness song of all time see if I can get that any louder I hope you can see this because it's worth it whoa Oh, yeah. This song came out when we were kids. And oh, my God. Uh, This is one like you. I'm sure you guys did, too. On the playground the next day. And like people had radios and shit. Um, what? Voulez-vous coucher avec moi? No one spoke French. But everybody knew what that line meant. And we traded it with each other over and over and over again. And uh, the reason I play it is, one, it's boss beyond all measure, but two, Sarah Dash, who was in LaBelle, is uh, swirling off into the heavens tonight in a silver spacesuit. Oh, there's Cowbell. Um, Bob Crew produced this, who was a gay, gay, gay producer who produced a million records. When he swirled off into the heavens several years ago, I remember playing this at a proof cast in um, uh, Raleigh, North Carolina. And I played this one, and You're Just Too Good to Be True by Frankie Valley, and I've never seen people lose their shit as hard. <laughs> For some reason... I love you, baby, and if it's quite all right, I need you, baby. People fucking lost their... That one and um, uh, Wedding Bell Blues by The Fifth Dimension, I think have driven people more insane with their jungle rhythm than any other songs we've ever played on the show. I would have never predicted it. Having played every song from Sea Cruise by Frankie Ford with Huey Smith and the Clowns to... Chaka Khan to James Brown and every manner of jazz um, Chick Corea, whatnot Herbie Hancock and Nancy Wilson, something uptown but a pop song like You're Just Too Good To Be True is unstoppable Sarah Dash was the one in LaBelle who often wore a midi top that was nothing more than a couple of silver tubes and then a bottom that barely covered anything Sarah was the scampily clad one um, Patty LaBelle, the, as you would call, would often wear feathers as if she was an enormous Sesame Street character. And then Nona Hendricks, who was awfully loud, um, was the le- went on to have a fantastic career as a disco star and a, a lesbian icon. Um, in one video, if you go on the Rolling Stone site, which I don't urge you to do normally, but they've got the bitchin' video of, of them doing Lady Marmalade. Nona Hendricks is wearing what can only be described as a, a glitter-encrusted glass shard skull cap that sends a thousand oscillating fragments back at the world. 
Um, LaBelle had been a group for a long time. They were on the, uh, uh, whatchamacallit, Gamble and Huff's label in Philly. And they were called Patty LaBelle and the Blue Bells. And what's her name was in the group, uh, fantastically, Florence Ballard, or Sydney Burnsog, rather. And um, Cindy famously joined the uh, uh, um, Supremes when um, Florence passed away. And uh, as you recall in the song Back in My Arms Again by the Supremes, Diana Ross goes, Cindy and Mary told me what to do. It's so important when you're in a group that you check the other members for their approval and or what's going on. Nothing excites me more than when people yell out band in a song, which the time does quite often. Um, uh, Diana Ross clearly crying out for Cindy and Mary's help as Supremes. You may remember Charlie Watts, who recently swirled off into the heavens, the most sophisticated and well-dressed rock star of all time. His he had a wardrobe from Savile Row that was custom made. And if he got too big for his clothes, you guys, he said he wouldn't eat until he could fit in them again. <laughs> Which is like, I can't believe that. I just ate a handful of raisinets before we started. Um, I can't quit eating no matter what I do. I've quit drinking, I've quit smoking, and I still can't stop eating. It's like an addiction. I, if I don't eat, I get sick, like I feel tired. Um, but Charlie Watts evidently great eating disorder like Peter Cushing I don't know if you guys remember Peter Cushing's face he's Governor Tarquin in the first Star Wars movie if that helps orient you Peter Cushing's face was like this <laughs> and here we go what did she say to him uh, he blows up the planet uh, the Princess Leia's planet and she, she said you wouldn't blow up my planet if I told you where the rebel base was and he goes you're far too trusting and it's just great. It's just great. Peter Cushing would eat, he was a vegetarian, two teaspoons full of like carrot soup at lunch, right? Like when we, all right, everybody, all right, thank you, right, on a hammer film. All right, let's have the artists go. One hour lunch, thank you very much. We'll see you back in an hour. And Peter Cushing would sit down and go, Christopher Lee would go, I'll have a steak roll, right? And Peter Cushing would go, I'll have two teaspoons of carrot soup. And then, mm, oh, good gracious, I'm full. Does anyone have a cigarette? Who has a fag? Uh, so Charlie Watts was the same. Supposedly at different times in his life, he gave up heroin, drinking, and cigarettes. And yet at different times, that doesn't work contiguously with the chronology of him, which I love. We were in London a few years ago, and there was an article in the paper because London, the Stones were playing like Wembley or somewhere. And at one, yet again, one of their, you know, this is we're 50 years plus in... And it was one of the women in the chorus. They brought in a, a church choir to sing, I saw her today at the reception to do, a, you can't always get what you want. And this woman was in the church choir. And she said, they did their thing. They rehearsed with the stones and Mick waved to them and everything. Then when they were leaving, Charlie, Ronnie and Keith were smoking inside <laughs> the stadium, like this behind the stage. And they went, hi, when they walked by and they were like, oh my God. But I love that Charlie was, uh, first of all, that after you finish your rehearsal, everyone goes for a smoke, which is hilarious. And then that it's the Stones and that Charlie was smoking. It was like, wait a minute. We didn't. Anyway, he had the greatest wardrobe, all custom made. So here's two wardrobe stories. Nick Cave, who just had a, I think the birthday party anniversary started this week. Nick Cave's an Australian rock star who also has no body weight whatsoever and a big shock of black hair and sings like this Ho -ho, Diana 
I hear, can't you hear me calling? Like he, Nick Cave, right? Super gothy, right? And uh, Jim Rose, our old buddy from the Jim Rose Circus, uh, who's also super gothy, but lives in France now, as you do when you're rich, and uh, <laughs> said that he was in South Africa with uh, Nick Cave and that they all were high on a bus and Nick Cave was standing on the bus and went, all the leaves are brown and the sky is gray and they all sang California Dreaming and I was like, that is a great Nick Cave story. I've been for a walk on a winter's day and then the carnival came to town and the rain washed it away. All of Nick Cave's songs are like that. Stood on the cliff and looked off the prison. Um, so... Uh, Nick Cave has to go pick up his son at Heathrow in London at the airport. And so he throws on a tracksuit and I think a shit hat. I can't remember if there's his a hat. His son's trainers. Oh, that's right. He puts on his son's tennis shoes because his son is as tall as him. And he goes to the airport and he's like, I'll just pick up my son. No one will see me. I'm not, you know, on you know, tour right now. I'm just picking up my son. Fucking Charlie Watts walks by. In a three-piece fucking Saville row. By the way, Charlie Watts picked out the material and knew as much as a tailor did about the cut and the source of the material of the suits that he owned. So he wasn't just with it. He was like over the top. Walks by a Nick Cave, recognizes him, and sees him wearing a tracksuit and tennis shoes and goes... Right? And Nick Cave goes, I wanted to die. He, he acknowledged me, and it was clear from the look on his face that he couldn't have been more disappointed that I looked like shit. And he goes, I, why didn't I put on a tie? Because Nick Cave usually wears like a black, you know, black jeans and boots and a coat and like, you know, and the hair piled up and, you know, right? He sings Leonard Cohen, and if you're looking for a boxer, I'll be it. Right? No. Fucking the tracksuit day when you didn't shave and you look like shit. One time we were at the supermarket, Jennifer and I, and I hadn't shaved and I was wearing jeans and something, nothing scruffy. I never wear a t-shirt in public or anything like that. But maybe I was just wearing a crappy shirt and a coat. And a dude walked up to me at the produce department and went, wow, it's like homeless Greg. <laughs> and I've never, ever, 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 ever since then left the house unshaved. I've years ago was supposed to go do a set. I was tired. I didn't want to. We lived in an apartment in Hollywood, and we were watching a Frank Sinatra TV special from the sixties, right? Where at one point he's got the orange sweater on, another part the tuxedo, then the suit, right? And the one thing Frank said he always did was shave and put on cologne and put the tux on, right? Before you go out there, cigarette, right? Fucking shorty. And I go, I just really don't feel like fucking doing a set. And Jennifer goes, looks at the TV and looks at me and goes, what would Frank do? <laughs> and I'm like, fuck. So I went in the bathroom, shaved, put on cologne, put a fucking tie on and pulled my shit together. Shine my fucking shoes. I hate when comics come on and their shoes are dull. I really do. Why are we not in show business? That's what I don't understand. Why are you wearing a Hello Kitty t-shirt and shitty glasses? Why haven't you gone the fucking full enchilada? When we saw the Rolling Stones in Vegas years ago, and I'm getting back to Sarah Dash, by the way. I haven't forgotten about Sarah Dash's and LaBelle's intense sartorial splendor. After we're done here, do whatever you need to do. 
then go to YouTube and look up Lady Marmalade by LaBelle and watch as many versions as you can from all the different shows. Also, she's on Cher's. They're on Cher's program, so you can look up LaBelle with Cher. And Cher wears a LaBelle outfit on that one. So talk about glam rock. Um, uh, Charlie uh, was, wait a minute, I've lost the, I've sold the Nick Cave one. Um, well, when we saw them at the MGM Grand, Jennifer and I went to see the Stones. And it was this one tour where they did this weird, like, burlesque stage, vaudeville stage. So they left the main stage, and there was a runway through the house. This was at the MGM Grand Arena where, like, George Strait plays and where, like, as often, what was it, Albert Brooks, where they store manure for the rest of America. And um, it's just a big-ass, horrible, purpose-built, not a lot of charm. And then there's a little stage about yay big. It's about the size of your dining room or whatever, right? Uh, and there's a keyboard set up there and a couple of axes and shit and a drum kit. And a little rug, I'll never forget that. A rug. And on the rug, a mic stand that's mix. And it was the stage was yay big. So I says to Jennifer, says I, I says to her, Jennifer, I says, um, um, I think they're getting ready to make their way over, but not right now, but like in a couple of numbers. So let's you and me go over now and get in the front. So we went right to the front. Right. So now here we are. We're right like that. So you're looking up at then they fucking all right. Thank you. No, thank you. Right. We're going to now we like to take you, you know, down to the other stage or whatever. So they fucking all walk down. Charlie's got his sticks. And they come to the other stage. And Mick Jagger's crotch is right there, right? Like, it's just his shirt pulled up and his waist was pale and that of a teenager, right? It was like an 18-inch waist and his shirt pulled up. And Jennifer and I looked at each other and his his knob was vast and (laughs) commodious, expansive. It was like looking at the Van Allen radiation belt or the... Uh, the backside of an asteroid that was just it wasn't there was no light that it was emitting it was blocking the light and it was conical in uh, well it had a in any case it was impressive and I don't remember his trousers I want to say they were almost like sweatpantsy trousers they were kind of athletic-y and he had a kind of a kicky little t-shirt on and then Keith had his usual, you know, I got a headband and I got a spider hanging off me or whatever. And Ronnie had his usual rock gear, like super tight because he's whipped them. And uh, Charlie, Jennifer goes, look what he's wearing. He's wearing a John Smedley polo neck short sleeve. Like he had a cashmere light gray polo neck that was cut here, right? So it wasn't a full turtleneck, it went to here. Uh, by the way, a cashmere sweater while you're drumming in the stones? Because he's going like this. He was beating the shit out of the drums. He didn't have the light, like they always talk about how jazzy he was. He, when we were up close, he, we were 10 feet away from him. He was banging the drums like that. And giant guns. Like bigger guns than Nick and all of them. Like Charlie actually had fucking muscular arms because he went like this for fucking 62 years, right? And uh, it was super boss. Uh, that, but I mean, really, a John Smedley polo neck. When you go to see uh, Emerson, Lake, and Palmer, or uh, Beyonce, Larry. Oh, that's who it was. What was his name? Legaspi. Oh, Larry Legaspi. So Sarah Dash and LaBelle, they wore these space outfits with giant platform boots, and they were super boss. And when they were on TV, it was like 
when I was really little, it was Sly and the Family Stone. When Sly and the Family Stone were on TV, you were pretty excited because they had like tri-cornered hats with feathers in them and concho hats. And uh, um, his sister, Sly's sister Rose, would wear a white wig and a, like a glitter mini with go-go boots and they would do this insane dance and shit. And, like, and you were like, nothing else was on TV like this. This was when John Davidson and... Jim Neighbors, who played Gomer Pyle, would come on and sing and shit. If ever I would leave you, it wouldn't be in springtime. And you were like, oh, fuck, really? And then Sly and the Family Stone come on and go, boom, laka, 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 boom, laka, laka. And you were like, this is fucking much better. And um, they were on the Ed Sullivan one. My parents loved them because they were lively. But then the Bell um, were so, so awesomely glitter, glam. And way, way gay audience. It was just great. And um, there, uh, what was his name, Gatsby? Larry Legaspi. Oh, there it is. Larry Legaspi designed their outfits. And you'll, I don't know if you can see the silver spacesuits. Oh. Yeah, it's pretty impressive. Uh, and then after he worked with LaBelle, oh my goodness, who called and asked him to do their outfits? <laughs> yeah, this is the 70s, man. Fucking Kiss called and he did there. So when I saw Kiss in 1977, the night Elvis died, they killed him with their shitty music. Um, Elvis was, uh, heart was congested and he was overdosing on heroin on the toilet in his house in Memphis. And he heard Kiss um, do um, Jailhouse Rock. On the night, they had found out backstage Elvis died. And we were unaware of it because there was no phones or anything in those days. In order to use the phone, you had to go to the lobby of the... And by the way, did I tell you the name of the venue? The Cow Palace. So imagine <laughs> what the normal entertainment there was. Cows. I saw the Grand National Rodeo there. And, it, and they would fill the floor with sand like the Roman Colosseum. And they actually, at the Grand National Rodeo, had chariot races and the guys wore brushed helmets and shit. This is in the 80s, by the way. This wasn't ancient. I'm not talking about in the year 80 with Nero and shit. I'm talking about in the, with Reagan and shit, that crazy emperor, that gibbering maniac. Uh, that, this is what I saw at the Cow Palace. The Beatles played there. Elvis Presley played there. Everyone played there. It was, I don't know why. And I saw a million shows there because I'm from the peninsula. And that was where you drive up. It's just short of San Francisco. The Cow Palace isn't quite in San Francisco. It's on the freeway. I don't even know if it's still... Is it still there? I think it's probably standing. And, fantastically, when you pulled up, it was a terrible, roundy arena right from the 50s. It said in giant block letters of story high, Cow Palace. <laughs> so you were like, there was no... So going into Fog Hat and Kiss, the queue for security... Yes, there was security then. What they were afraid of was that you would bring alcohol into the venue. And... Everyone brought jugs of lemonade filled with vodka, but because it had it was a lemonade jug, they would sometimes let it go through. Sometimes they'd smell it and then throw it in the bin, and there was an enormous bin full of discarded gallon jugs of lemonade. We didn't drink water from a bottle then. We drank juice from a jug and Coca-Cola. And um, so I went to see Kiss and... Uh, uh, what? Uh, the Junior Grand National Livestock Show? Is that what's there now? So it's still open. The Junior Grand National Livestock Show is currently at the Cow Palace, you guys. So if anyone lives in Daly City, 
I had no idea it was open. I'm so excited that Jennifer just showed me what's on this weekend. And it's the Junior Grand National Livestock Show. By the way, you're going to see some really cool stock. You're going to see some bulls. Um, I'm guessing some horses, probably some cattle as well. Uh, there's really nothing like, you know, it, uh, do you, uh, my question to you, like Cormac McCarthy, is do you intend to drive that stock? Because you see what we've done is we've purloined a bunch of their cattle and now we're driving it on our own across the West. So in line for KISS, we're pretty drunk and, um, and high on drugs. And we go in, which by the way, there's no other way that KISS is good. And, uh, and by the way, this was their prime. This is 77. This is after KISS Live and all that. Where at the end of the concert, Paul Stanley would go, KISS loves you! Um, it was good to know that KISS felt that way. And that they loved us. And uh, uh, I, there were station wagons full of children. Parents dropping holes. There was no utility vehicles then. We had wagons that went to a station and they had wood on the side to remind you of the rustic times. And uh, uh, back gates would open up on these station wagons, which opened up in the 70s two ways. Either they went down like that and everybody slid out, or sometimes if you had a hipper station wagon, it opened like a door and everybody jumped out. And all these little kids would get out wearing D Detroit Rock City t-shirts, right? And they were going to see Kiss and shit. So we're inside and I see a deputation of children and when I say children, I mean nine and ten year olds, like fifth grade, fourth, fourth grade, fifth grade. And uh, I see them conferring heads together. And finally, one is elected. We're in our, even in our inebriated state, I can see this going on quite near me. And the one child pushes forward and comes over to us and goes, hey, you guys, can I buy a joint? And I've never sold marijuana in my life. I know I've done a lot of things, but I've never sold marijuana. And I said to him, uh, uh, she got a dollar, right? Like I needed a dollar and shit in 1970. So the kid gives me a dollar and I gave him a joint. Like we had loads of joints. And I don't know why I felt so compelled, but I thought he had to learn, I guess, at my advanced age of 16 or whatever. And uh, he went back over to his friends and they lit it up and they fucking got stoned and they were laughing their ass off and screaming through the whole, <laughs> like a whole bunch of 10 year olds smoked this joint. It was and by the way, um, you've never gone as quiet and judgmental as you have right now. And I'm highly, highly amused that the lowest point of your life isn't that 600,000 people have died of COVID or that we had a Nazi president and a seditious takeover of the United States, that the entire world is infected with a new plague that's going to last four years before we reset. That hasn't upset you as much as the fact that I told you that I sold a joint to a 10-year-old at a KISS concert in 1977 and that a bunch of kids enjoyed KISS because of it. <laughs> Get up! Everybody gonna leave their seat! Get down! Everybody gonna leave their feet! <laughs> it's Detroit! Rock City! <laughs> Jennifer <coughs> has forbidden me from doing Paul Stanley. I do a tremendous Paul Stanley impression, both his speaking voice and the voice he uses in concert. His speaking voice is, because he's deaf in one ear and he's Jewish and he's from New York, he talks like this. And Ace Freely, who I did a video with, talks like this. Ace Freely talks like this. Right? The guitar player, the star man from KISS, talks like this. 
But when they're on stage, Paul Stanley goes, well, all right! Hello, Toronto! Like that. Like, it's just loud, right? There's no middle gear. After every song, man, well, how many people here like to rock and roll? Like that, and it's just... Right? And then Gene spits blood. And uh, then Ace came on stage and at one point put his guitar down and then pointed at it. And it disappeared in a puff of smoke. Yes, they were pyrotechnics. They were no earth, wind, and fire, mind you. Where I believe Verdine used to actually circle like this upside down. Jeff Belton saw them in high school. And the Seriously? bass player, yeah, the, they would make the players twirl around. So... At the end of the KISS concert, we had no idea Elvis is dead. We were teenagers, mind you. And the next morning, the San Francisco Chronicle, I'll never forget that um, headline. Elvis dead at 44. They put his age in, right? And um, uh, so that night we had no idea. And I'm just shit-faced. I think I laid on the ground at one point. Or on a bench or something. And it was a gross place, the cow palace. It smelled like cow and palace. And um, so uh, they're getting toward the end of the show and they've done, you know, all their hits. Slow Gin and Firehouse. And what's that one? Uh, Out on the street for a living. A picture's only begun. Her days are filled. They're more like Tenacious D than any other group because they're that. It's like a parody, right? What was it? So keep on shouting, you keep on shouting. What? Ah, I won't rock it. They would actually, it was just the greatest. Oh, now and party every day. Ah, right? Just fucking. <laughs> they were like watching a band that had just learned to play their instruments. That's what I recall. And they had grain elevators. What? They had elevators on stage, so they were at one point lifted fantastically way above the crowd. And then Peter had a ballad hit that year, which was, I think, the, probably their biggest hit. And it was called Beth. Beth, B-E-T-H. And Peter's the kitty cat in the group. Him and Ace have been thrown out like 18 times. I don't even know if they're in the band now. I think they've been on a salary since, like, for 30 years. I mean, that's how long they've been a band, so... They've been thrown out, they've been put back, whatever, who knows? Who knows who's in the band? You can't tell anyway because they have fucking, you know, superhero costumes on. And um, so Peter had cat whiskers painted on him, right? And all of them are on platform shoes with giant guitars and they've got glitter all over them. They're wearing the less gaspy outfits, right? With the fucking giant... Larry. Uh, they look like Road Warrior meets Kabuki, right? <laughs> meets LaBelle. There was elements of LaBelle they always had... Ace always had silver uh, rubber piping on his shoulders, much like Sarah Dash did. Uh, there's always a connection. And uh, they go, now Peter's going to, now Peter go come out and sing a song. Right, so Peter comes out from behind the drum kit, which the drum kit's on this enormous riser, right? And he's got, fantastically, for someone who can't play at all, he's got a gong and a calliope <laughs> and a series of cymbals and, and triangles. You know, he's got like the entire London Philharmonic percussive section, right? A timpani, you know, whatnot. A gong. He had a gong. What? Why? Um, so uh, he comes out from behind the kit and he's not wearing platforms because he's the drummer. 
He's in tennis shoes. So he's three and a half feet tall. <laughs> but he has cat makeup on. So he looks like a little Jewish cat. Right? He's just this little... He has long hair. And he's got a cat face on. And he's five foot two. Right? And they play a tape. Quick Kiss leaves the stage. Because Beth has strings and shit. Beth is a like a pop song. It's the only song that doesn't by them go wham 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 because all their other songs go exactly like that. They only have one song, and except for Beth, which goes awesomely. And I'm going to take out the mic so I can do a little Peter. Beth, I hear you calling, but I can't come home right now. Me and the boys are playing. <laughs> me and the boys prick me. Me and the boys, picture cat. Me and the boys are playing, looking for a new sound. And then at the end, but Beth, I wish I could. Right? And you're like, you can't because you're a cat. And so now they get closer to the end of the show and they've done everything. They've done Beth. And a lot of songs about having, um, uh, illegal sexual intercourse with women, with people who are underage. Several Ooh. songs with that theme. Like as I said on the stand-up show a couple of weeks ago, ZZ Top in the song Give Me All Your Lovin' says, give me all your loving, all your hugs and kisses too. Fair enough. I don't want hugs and kisses from ZZ Top. Not that many people did. But if you're going to give them to me, fine. Give me all your loving. And then the next line is, don't you stop until we're through. Wait. ZZ Top, I say when we're done, okay? No does not mean yes. I have a safe word with ZZ Top, and it's tush. And <laughs> when I yell tush, it's over, ZZ Top. No more kissing, no more hugging. And also, you have, two of you have unspeakable beards. One of you has no facial, has just a horrible Sam Elliott in Roadhouse mustache. But the rest of you have hair, horrible Mennonite uh, House of David, um, a barnstorming baseball team beards from the uh, early part of the century. Unspeakable. Um, so that's why we're going to stop when I say we're stopping, not don't you stop until we're through. Whoa. So, yeah, Kiss had a song called Christine 16. Whoa, yeah. Right. And then um, the one that's in Magic Mike 1, I believe, is... Uh, did you just say magic? Yeah, like I one? just cited the movie. This, I have a cinema program as well called the Greg Proofs Film Club where we talk about classic cinema. Last week, Jennifer does almost all the programming. I've picked three movies in seven years. And last week we showed, uh, for, in fact, just a few days ago, we showed The Lady Vanishes by Hitchcock from 1938. Marvelous bloody film, right? With a there's an old lady on a train and she's very wily and all of a sudden she disappears and our heroine tries to convince everyone that this lady's there and everyone's like, what lady was that? Except in a dazzling variety of Eastern European accents because it's the Nazis during World War II except they're not called Nazis. What's the country called? Bratacrava or something? They've given the country a fake name. It's not Germany. It's Bratica or something like that. But everybody's like this, what old lady? What old lady are you talking about? I have seen old lady. <laughs> right? Just fantastic. And then um, the week month before that we showed um, Misha Hulo's Holiday which is hilarious. And then next month on the 26th by the way since we're on cinema and yes Magic Mike 1 started this. Yeah. 
since we're on cinema. Directed by the auteur Steven Soderbergh, by the way, in case you think I'm not being pretentious enough. The man who did Sex, Lies, and Videotape and a seven-hour Che Guevara two-part movie. That director did fucking Magic Mike. With yeah, Ma- with, Matthew McConaughey. with Matthew McConaughey. And um, who doesn't show up for the sequel, and more's the pity. Uh, next month on the 26th, we're showing Diabolique. Um, oh, I just blanked on the filmmaker, Clouseau, uh, by uh, Monsieur Clouseau, who did um, Wages of Fear. It's a terrifying murder. Um, and it's one of those ones where, what? They're not dead? What? And so it's, it's really good. You should, it's a spooky-ass movie. It's not a Halloween movie, but Jennifer picked it because it's absolutely mortifying. And also the mood of it. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you've seen Magic Mike 1... Matthew McConaughey is, and it's a movie about a bunch of strippers who are in their 30s and 40s somehow. <laughs> Even though if you, I haven't been to a strip joint in quite a while. The last time I went, Gypsy Rose Lee was on stage with Tempest Storm. And um, yeah, no, they, you know what? The last time I went, Min, Minsky's got raided. Yeah. That's the last time I was at a burlesque. Right? They rode me off in a paddy wagon. And... Um, so I, uh, I went in my early 20s uh, uh, to, to several put not peppermint, whatever that was. What was it called down here? Peppermint hippo? Spearmint, Spearmint rhino. Spearmint rhino. <laughs> There's a strip place there used to be. I don't know if it's there anywhere. Called Spe- Spearmint rhino. What? The only person I knew who went there was Gene. Right, Gene went there. Gene, because it was fun. Right. And you get drunk and gay you talk to the... Yeah, the he was people. gay. Right, yeah. he was gay. Well, all the strippers are homosexual, in case anyone was thinking that it's a bunch of hot straight girls who want to meet married fat guys. Um, <laughs> as Greg Barrett used to say, I love going to a strip club. I love getting there and paying for drinks and then having a girl give me a lap dance and then getting really excited and then driving home. Uh, um... <laughs> Uh, they're horrible places. In any case, um, sad is the, I think the, uh, what was the point of the story? I'm furiously peddling toward, we've got detoured on the stripper part here, which is not where I wanted to go. It's not Sarah Dash. Look, you're here to help me, Jennifer, not just laugh at my discomfiture. Well, she's off the show for the next year. And we're not showing Diabolique next month. We're going to show Return of the Living Dead 2. Something I like. What we're talking about was Magic Mike. Yes, I I remembered. Thank you. I just barely beat you to the finish line on that. Thank you. Um, We were talking about Magic Mike. And the first Magic Mike, which is truly magic. And then the second Magic Mike, which is called Magic Mike Double Extra Large, I believe. Um, they're 30, here's the plot of the movie. They're 30 and 40 year old male entertainers working in a club in Fort Lauderdale. No, where's the first place? It's not Miami. Tampa or something awful. And, uh, Matthew McConaughey runs the club. And what's his name? <laughs> Chana Putnam. What's that actor's name? Channing Tatum. Chana Putnam. aspires to be more than... A, a male entertainer. He wants to have a yogurt business or something. I don't know what it is. He has some sort of aspiration. It's the exact same plot as the movie Shampoo, where George, the hairdresser played by Warren Beatty, who's a 45-year-old gigolo in that movie, 
uh, wants to be more than a hairdresser. Actually, he doesn't. He wants to have a bigger salon so he can have his own chair. So Magic Mike, he goes to this banker and he's like, I want a loan. And the banker's like, well, what? And he goes like, I have a million dollar bills in a suitcase. Right? Because he's a stripper. So, you know, his collateral is like a bunch of, you know, beer soaked, qualud soaked dollar bills. So Magic Mike, he's Magic Mike, um, Matthew McConaughey. And this was the beginning of his renaissance. Before that, he'd been in Surfer Dude and um, How to Lose a, 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 a Spiny Echidna in 10 Days. And a series of movies with Sarah Jessica Parker and Goldie Hawn's daughter that were not just unwatchable. You, I remember having to talk someone out of taking their own life. <laughs> During the one where Penelope Cruz is the archaeologist. What's that one called? Sahara or something. So Matt, these are the kind of movies Matthew McConaughey was making. Where he, he was required to do this. Uh, I remember a scene in the one with um, uh, Kate Hudson. He uh, goes, hey, hey, pretty girl. And it's like, first of all, no one's ever said that. And second of all, if if you were with a pretty girl and you said to them, hey, pretty girl, you'd better be Roy Orbison. <laughs> because that's the only way that's going to fucking write. Walking down the street, the kind I like to meet. What does he say? I don't believe you. You're not the truth. No one could look as good as <sighs> mercy. Right? Fucking Matthew McConaughey goes, hey, pretty girl. Uh, like, if you were a pretty girl and he was saying, hey, pretty girl, you'd be like, gross. Talk about ZZ Top, right? Uh, she's got legs and she knows how to use them. O okay. Uh, so what it, uh, we presume the other women you've dated flopped about the ground. Without any notion of striding or being bipeds? Who did you date before this? Penipedes? Why are you so astounded that she knows how to use her legs? She, and, fantastically, the line subsequent to that. She never begs. She knows how to choose them. What? That doesn't even make sense. But then, to wrap it all up, She's my baby, and it was all right. But that's how when you have no lyrics, you wrap things up at the end of a song. She's my baby, and then, and it was all right. Right? What? No, it wasn't. None of this has made any sense. I indict you, ZZ Top. I take you to the court of lyrics. Even Led Zeppelin, who said, hey, hey, mama, said the way you move, want to make you sweat, want to make you groove. If you said that to a woman, gross. <laughs> the idea that Robert Plant walked up to a woman in 1970 and went, Hey, hey, mama. And it has to be an echo. Hey, hey, mama, tell the way you move. <laughs> gonna make you sweat, gonna make you. I listen to that song every morning for a year. Now you wonder why I am the way I am. You needn't worry any longer or wonder. Give, your, give it no more thought. Matthew McConaughey in the movie Matthew Mike, uh, Magic Mike, or Matthew Mike, 
or the movie Matthew and Mike, which I just made up. It's a it's a it's a friendship buddy movie, coming of age movie, <laughs> starring Matthew still. McConaughey and himself as his younger self. So he's like, "Hey, little boy," and then as a little boy, "Hey, older man," right? And then, <laughs> whoa. Say it, do it, do it with me, do it with me, little boy. Right? Come on, come on. Right? Don't drive over it, drive around it. Um, what? So, Magic Mike is this, like, so. It, talk about a dead dog. This movie never rises off the map. This movie is down for the count in real one. And then, fantastically, the female romantic lead who's in the movie um, is the producer's daughter. And she's at the producer's daughter acting level. So, like, they go, Matthew McConaughey, fantastically, all of the strippers and them are going to have some fun on the weekend. And he goes, all right, all right, all right. We're going to have a sandbar party. And you're like, what's a sandbar party? This is ominous, right? Like, if Peter Laurie said it in a movie in the 40s, you'd have been like, don't go to the sandbar, right? We're going to, we're going to have a party, but it's going to be on a sandbar. Uh, I'll have another brandy, please. Thank you. May I have my winnings? Um, so... They go to the soundbar party and the, the female romantic leads there and she's in a bathing suit and she's like, all right. <laughs> that was my version. That was my impression of, I can't remember her name. You can look it up later. So the acting level of the movie ranges from producer daughter level of acting to slightly above that. And uh, Channing Putnam's in it. And Matt Bomer, who's awesome. And Joe, what's his name? Joe Montella. What's his name? He's giant. He's really sexy. He's married to Sofia Vergera. You just imagine them having sex like in a Japanese Toho movie from the 60s where they just... They just throw each other and they land on buildings and stuff. That's how they make love because Joe's so big. And Sofia Vergera's like a cartoon of a woman. And she comes running at him and he just picks her up and goes... Like Rodan, and she spins around like Gamera or whatever, and the people are running, and the windows are breaking. And scientists, I cannot believe this. This the readings are off. The, the, the we have never had readings like this before. <laughs> so they're in it, and they're all just doing acting, you know, like stripper acting, whatever that is. Somewhere below Mickey Rourke's wrestler friends in the movie The Wrestler. So <clears throat> to give you an idea. And Matthew McConaughey's flown into this movie and has decided that he's in a 1930s Weimar Germany um, cabaret movie where it's not a strip club in Tampa. It's, it's some sort of offbeat brothel in the Raper Bond in 1934, right, right before the Beer Hall Putsch. Right, he's Joel Grey. And he's, yeah, he's Joel Grey in cabaret. And there's close-ups of him where he's gray and blue and stuff. And like, he'll go... All right, ladies, get ready for Magic Mike. And you're like, what's happening in this movie? Oh, there's one where they do the count out. One and two and three and four. Like, what? Does this happen at strip clubs? Do women like it when guys pretend to do the count off march from the war? I don't know, but I've been told. Right? Um, <laughs> then in the second one, alas, he didn't make it. Uh, but So, yeah, I'm an expert on cinema. 
and a, a devotee. And a, I'd start with the Magic Mike series. <laughs> My problem with Steven Soderbergh is there's no tension in any of Like, what's the one with uh, uh, um, George Clooney and uh, Jade to the L.O.? Out of sight. Parts of it are good when they're like robbing the bank and whatnot. And then it just dissipates into nothingness. And you're like, mm. have you ever watched a caper film? Because there's lots of them. Uh, and you could pick up the... So Sarah Dash uh, was in LaBelle. And then fantastically, and this is the Rolling Stones part, when um, she'd been kicking around and did some disco and Nona had a bigger disco career than her. And Patty, of course, went on to be Patty and just, you know, had the biggest career of anyone. And Keith Richards took her out on tour and she would sing, um, what was it, Time is on My Side, on her own. And then what was the song they would sing together? Uh, the, Keith had a couple solo albums and he would sing with Sarah Dash, which was really, really nice uh, that he brought her out. Her Her father was a pastor too and she was from New Jersey uh, which is fantastic and uh, I just don't think you can replace LaBelle and I think Sarah Dash is one of those people uh, when you get an idea of how bitchin' they were and how important they are uh, to pop and how uh, um, they would do make no mistake oh make no mistake right which is a, a Keith Solo one uh, in any case uh, let's see what we've got here uh, normally I get gifts during the show and we're, we don't have any live shows planned for the podcast, sadly. But we do have live shows that we're doing with the, the guys. Uh, let's see here. Whose Line Goes Back on the Road on the 29th, I think. We were going to start in somewhere, but now we're starting uh, in um, Glenside, Pennsylvania, I think. I'm sorry about the Iowa dates. Uh, there was a little mask uh, thing there. Every one of our shows, by the way, if you come to see us with Who's Live, and it's me, Joel Murray, Ryan Stiles, Jeff Davis, and me. Um, every one of our shows, you have to either wear a mask or be vaccinated. So we're trying to keep... Uh, what we like to say in our group is a dead Who's Live customer is not a repeat Who's Live customer. <laughs> we're at the Keswick Theater in Glenside, PA on the 30th. And then we go to Montclair, New Jersey, then New York, then Massachusetts, where I will be picking up some marijuana because the Commonwealth <laughs> of Massachusetts allows the sale and consumption of, and I don't encourage the use of drugs unless you want your stories to be entertaining. Uh, and I'll be on the road with them until the end of the year. We're supposed to go to Florida in December. I wouldn't bet the fucking chicken farm on that one. Uh, <laughs> Florida, I believe, is fining venues $5,000 if they enact a mask rule. Wow. So, this is America. As John Cougar once said, This blind man was a fine thing. Ain't that America? No. Um, <laughs> the um, Nazis have taken over the auditorium down in Florida. And so, say um, la vie, as, as Robbie Neville once said. That's just the way it goes. But um, we're looking forward to being on the road. And no, we won't be talking to you backstage. That's the other thing. We're going to kind of keep our distance from everybody, including the crew, so don't feel left out. I know you paid money and stuff, but 
The crew's being paid to be there and we're not even, I'm not even speaking to them. I'm going to just use a series of gestures and multicolored bubbles that I emit from my mouth that'll mean different things. <laughs> like yellow's going to be bring me my mic and red is going to be like turn up the sound and blue is going to be where's the Pepsi and whatnot. So that's how I'm doing it. Uh, we've all been inoculated. And uh, no, although I haven't been boosterized, but I'm not that old, so shut up. Um, <laughs> The Washington National Cathedral is going to take down their windows. Um, They had Robert E. Lee and Stonewall Jackson in the Washington National Cathedral in glass windows. They were put up during the 50s, during that awesome time when people who were trying to rewrite American history were erasing black people Hmm. and putting up white supremacists. And Stonewall Jackson, um, although a great country star from the 60s, uh, Robert E. Lee and Stonewall Jackson were anything, uh, I think you could say white supremacy was on their minds. Anyway, Carrie James Marshall is going to do the windows and he's wow. a wonderful artist who's in his seventies now and he's an August, um, African American artist and, um, he's been commissioned to do them after, uh, he's Charlottesville. So amazing. Yeah. He's tremendous. If you ever get a chance to see him, Carrie with a K E R R James, uh, R R Y Marshall. And also, they brought in a poet. Um, let me just see if I can find it here. Uh, oh. It's a rare case of it, they chose the absolute right person. Yeah, they've chosen exactly the right person. Randolph uh, Marshall Hollerith, the Dean of Washington National Cathedral. Oh, who's the woman? Is the poet there? Elizabeth Alexander is going to write verse, and they're going to chisel it into the walls to accompany the new windows. So I thought that was a beautiful thing. I wanted to show you some gifts that people have given me over the years. Since we're not, we don't have a live proofcast uh, scheduled. Uh, this is a muntjac, as you can see, and. Uh, the emotional support, the elusive ephemeral emotional support, Munchak, was born here in Hollywood. One day at a show, we were doing a show here in Hollywood, and I heard, from the back of the room, like that. I think it was a chair squeaking on the ground, because it was a place called the Nerd Melt, which was famous in Hollywood for starting, um, what was the name of that comedy show that Kumail was in? Uh, you know Kumail from the movies and whatnot. And, um, uh, it was also famous for being the most uncomfortable venue in Los Angeles with no bar, <laughs> no air conditioning. Finally, they brought in an air conditioner like the kind your aunt had in her house in Tucson. So you'd go there and it would go chunk and then and then you'd be like, oh, what's that smell? Um, so this is a muntjac and, and it's a female muntjac. And this is the buck muntjac. And you can tell because it has fantastically, they, they usually have fangs. This one doesn't. It's got horns. And the person who gave me this some years ago, um, they're called, and this is what I love about this brand, Noah's Pals. So when the world was consumed by a flood, I think we all remember that historical moment, clearly written down in the books. When the world was consumed by a flood, Noah, the Jewish guy, had a bunch of animal friends. Uh, as one of the songs goes, the monkey, the tiger, and the kangaroo. Well, I'm adding the munchak too, because this box insists that they were Noah's pals. And then fantastically offers this tantalizing offer. I don't know if you can see it. Collect to win. What am I winning? Another munchak? 
And then they've given the Munchaks names, right? Like, I don't know what you would name a Munchak. They're also called the Vietnamese barking deer sometimes. And yes, people eat them as well, although they're quite cute. They're only about yay big. They're not this big. They're bigger than this. This is just a, a rendition of one. You can see its little hoofies. Um, look at the names they gave them. Mark and Michelle. Munchaks are from Southeast Asia. What? Wouldn't they be like soon and tea or something? What, why are they Mark and Michelle? Where are they from? Encino? Hey, what's up? I'm Mark the, I'm Mark the Munchak. And I'm Michelle the Munchak. Hey, I heard Magic Mike... What? Did I just turn on an app on my computer? I hope so. I think I did. Oh, good. I'm still here. Hey, let's go see Magic Mike 2 down at the Cineplex. I don't want to go. I heard that Matthew McConaughey's not in this one. My original Munchak name was Matthew, but I changed it to Mark because I wanted to be another one of the Synoptic Gospels. Uh, I have no idea why they're Mark and Michelle. And it's just fantastic. Why do they know us pals? And then on the back, I think it actually gives their height and stuff. Oh, and there's a serial number too. So each of them is seriously... Can you read the, <coughs> the measurements of the Munchak, which are given on the really? back? Really? Yeah. Munchak measurements? Yeah. And then, do we know what this is? Jeff bought this for me in Mexico City. Jeff Davis went to Mexico City. By the way, Jeff, annoyingly, on top of being taller than me and younger, I'm not jealous of him because who I don't want to be him, but uh, I've been inside him too many times. Uh, he bought me this in Mexico City from a drugged-up artist. And I, is it a llama or a bunny? They're three and a half feet tall. Munchaks are three and a half feet tall. Thank you for translating that. What is this animal? It's they're famous in Mexico. It's a famous folk. Llama or alpaca. Right. <laughs> it, but do llamas and alpacas live in Mexico? I don't think they do. That's what trips me out. He said the artist. Not in this economy. Right. <laughs> All right. Whoever's doing jokes that are funnier than mine, I need you out of the showroom. Yasmin. Jasmine's in Melbourne where they're on lockdown still. By the way, she didn't realize that in our country we're having scores of people perish each day. And in her country, nobody. Because they're all locked down. You have to get permission to go on a picnic, Yasmin told me. And here in the United States, we're filling baseball stadiums full of morons all over the country. And football stadiums. Jeff bought me this and it's so cute. It's little beadwork, as you can see. And Jeff's never giving me anything. Well, it's a kind of art. Oh, huicol. Huicol is the, is the style of his end. In this economy, it can't be a llama, according to the funnier members of the audience. <laughs> but as you can see, it's got a bitching turquoise, green, purple, black. It's not turquoise. I'm super colorblind, but I can even tell that's not turquoise. I'm so colorblind that I bring a, a navy suit and a black suit on the road. And in order not to show up like Orange 45, that time he showed up with the black coat and the blue trousers, like any other senile 75-year-old who's just finished abusing someone and they're eating a stack of pancakes with ketchup on them and then riding in a golf cart and then ordering a Nazi assassination. That's what makes you wear the different colored trousers. Um, I have to put the black trousers back with the black coat and then I put a particular kind of pocket square in so that I don't confuse it on the road. And yes, the last time I went to a fitting, I brought two left shoes with me. What? Yeah. 
I went to our tailor to get my pants taken up. And I was like, I'm going to wear the shoes that I wear on the road. And I brought two left shoes. <laughs> and I want to tell you something. That hurt so much. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Kitty, of course. I made him put them on. Um, so I have to sort everything out by blue and black so that I don't wear the wrong uh, color. Um, this was given to me years ago, and I can't remember where. It's a kitten's McTavish. As you can see, it's a lot like the one um, Jennifer's very good friend Jeff drew our kitten's McTavish, the one that of uh, the sticker of. But this is what makes this kitten's McTavish unique. See at the bottom of the kitten here, at the anterior of the kitten? What? Yeah, I just pulled that out of a kitten's culo. And it has in it, I can't get it out, but there's some kind of document in here. But I, I really don't want to reach in, as you might imagine. But anyway, I always thought it was really cute. However, impractical, because as you can see, I can stand it like that. You can see it standing there. But if you put the Kulo kitten thing in, it falls over. So I've had to take this out and keep it separately. And I read it once, and there's someone trapped on an island. <laughs> and what the note says on it is, a year's gone by since I wrote my note. I should have known this from the start. Sending out an SOS. 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 It's really long. I was in Paris. I take Jennifer every year until the plague hit. And I actually have people ask me, and I'm not kidding, why do you go with your wife to Paris every year? <laughs> really? I think if you have to ask that question, you need to ask yourself a question, which is, what's up? I think Linda Perry said it best. You have to look at yourself in the mirror and say, hey, 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 what's going on? Um, the idea that you haven't thought it through. Oh, I like to go to Paris with my wife. Why do you go to Paris with your wife? Well, here's a couple of things that I'd like to run by you. People like you better if you take them to Paris. It's a proven fact. So we were outside Shakespeare and Company, where Jennifer's organized the podcast for the last several years. And we'll be back there probably next year, I'm guessing. We're inoculated. Paris is accepting inoculated Americans. By the way, Paris is doing it right. They just ordered everyone to get inoculated. And Macron let go how many government workers a couple of weeks ago? Somewhere in the neighborhood of 3,000 anti-vax French government workers went, we're not getting non, non-vaccination. And he went, adieu. <laughs> adieu, Casablanca. Um, and he let them go. By the way, that's about to happen here in California. Our governor, Gavin Newsom, who is the, a, a game show host, kind of, and a governor, too. Um, when the mask mandate was lifted, we had an event at the California Adventure Amusement Park with the Minions. 
And the minions were on stage with the governor, and he was like, California's roaring back. And everybody was like, this is a little weird. You really... So, uh, he's uh, going to make the prison guards of California, of which there are, I'm assuming, tens of thousands, because we have an enormous penal system. (laughs) I have an enormous penal um, system. And... uh, to, he's going to make them get vaccinated. He's going to require it. And if there's one thing more recalcitrant and vax resistant and science uh, denying than a, a peace officer, it's a prison peace officer. There, I, I, you know what? Let's just open the doors to the prisons. Let them, let them, let them make their own food for a while because we're going to lose a lot of prison guards over this because prison guards are like, no one's going to tell me what to do. Um, so I was standing outside of Shakespeare company, smoking a bone, I'll be honest. And, um, a couple came up to me and handed me this. I shared the bone with them. I won't be sharing bones with you now. And those are not like penal system bones. Those are, uh, like this marijuana, marijuana stick bones. Um, a couple came up to me and we shared, uh, uh, relations, uh, social relations we chatted and uh they said can we give you something and it was before the podcast so i'm always available for gifts and they gave me a koozie of australia (laughs) it was unexpected i grant you when you're standing by the banks of the Seine and notre dame to orient you if you were standing where i was standing on the moment here's shakespeare and company here to my right over here to my left the Seine, the river And then just over there, pointing this way, is Notre Dame Cathedral, right? You know, ding dong, we're like, oh, thank you, Eddie, that one, right? Esmeralda and whatnot, Demi Moore, when she was in the the cartoon. And uh, uh, this dude goes, we wanted to give you this because we love you. And I'm like, an Australian beer koozie is the most thoughtful. By the way, it's got the flag of the Commonwealth hanging off it as a tag. Which I, or the, that's the, the flag of Australia is part Union Jack, part a sea of stars, which I think indicates Oceania. Mm. Uh, or maybe they indicate the, sorry? It's the Southern Cross. Was that Yasmin or was that one of you intelligent people? It's the Southern Cross. Southern Cross. From the album of the same name. And, uh, by the Crusaders, so I think you'll. The, when Australia was founded by um, the band called the Band, they did an, an album called Northern Light Southern Crosses, and that's why the Southern Cross is on their flag. And a lot of people won't tell you that. Um, Captain Cook invented the sandwich, and when he discovered, and I when I I like the idea that Europeans discovered places. Because I think you'll find that all the people who are called discoverers, there are already people living there. So it came as quite a surprise to them that they were being discovered. In their mind, they thought, we've been here a while. And then, oh, look, a ship full of smelly English people. And then, oh, I say, uh, is there any gonorrhea? And then they would be like, uh, no, but we have tropical fruit. And they're like, oh, patui. And then, lash, lash, lash. Right, this is, I'm doing, the, this is the truncated version of the British colonizing the world. 
And then, ooh, Australia's really nice. It's, the weather's great and there's really good food. I've got an idea. Let's send everyone from Ireland who's stolen anything there. Uh, so that's why the flag is like that. And then, I, as you can see, this is a very, very accurate koozie because I believe you'll find that there's um, a whale offshore. Um, um, if there's not a kangaroo, there ought to be. I have no idea what that is in the middle there. A tree, I think. There's no kookaburra bird and an old gum tree. But there is, if you fly over Australia, you'll often see the whale um, in the orange ocean near the starburst. <laughs> and Tasmania, which I've seen from the air many times because I've flown over it, where the capital Hobart is, is designated by an enormous red circle. The people of Hobart have built an enormous red circle. What about the devils? And then this part is the Sydney Harbor Bridge and the Sydney Harbor Opera House, as you can see there, are actually that big and you can see them from the air. When you fly over Earth, it's like, oh my God, we're getting near Sydney. And then what? That shit's big. <clears throat> I've, <clears throat> excuse me, I've played the Sydney Opera House. Killed. <laughs> Did it with Colin and Brad. And this is what I miss about the before times. We flew to Australia and um, uh, and we did a couple weeks there and we played um, Sydney and Melbourne and uh, uh, Perth and uh, Brisbane and whatnot. And then we went to New Zealand and on the way back, um, we flew out of Wellington City. Um, oh no, well, I can't remember where we flew out of. What was the other city? Auckland? Auckland? No, Wellington. There's two cities. Um, no, there's more than that. But we, we flew out of Auckland, I think. Christchurch, right. But Christchurch is so devastated by the earthquake. Yeah. Really, the airports are... So we flew out of Auckland. And, of course, everything's hobbity, right? They've drawn the hobbit on all their planes and stuff. And um, on the way back, I watched Magic Mike. And that's the last time I watched it there. I'll tell you, that was for Christmas of 2018. Um, and... Uh, as you fly away from Australia, it totally looks like that. And then you're like, what? And then, and then there's a, an enormous kangaroo. Wombat? That waves, that waves goodbye to you. There are wombats there, but they're often hidden because of their proclivities. Um, and then Jennifer and I went to India with Jeff Davis, of all people. And by the way, don't take him to India. Um, <laughs> whatever. God, I thought you'd be useful. He was at one point. I was having a heart attack at one point before our show. And um, he went, relax, Greg. It's India. Which I think is good advice when you're in India. For someone to remind you that you're in India. And um, by the way, they separated the crowd into rich people in the front. And poor people were literally behind a kind of a fence in the back. Which uh, was fairly exciting. Uh, and I went to the back and I said, let's talk to the poor people. And I said, what's a holiday that you guys really enjoy here? And the guy went, Christmas. And Jeff went, Happy Vishnu. And I went, Merry Krishna. Um, yeah, he was on stage. So we went to a place called Chamahala Palace, which Jennifer and I, of course, like to call Chamahala at your boy. And um, they had the greatest gift shop in the history of mankind. Chamahala Palace is beautiful. And it's uh, from the Raj. But it's not a British palace. It's for the Indian emperors or Mughals of that part. This is northern India, where, or southern 
India, were in, and um, uh, Hyderabad. This is it, right? Yeah. Here, I'll show you a picture of the chandeliers that are inside. It's an enormous space. I don't know if you can see it all. And there's the chandeliers. And believe me, the chandeliers are the size of, like, small ships. Um, and th so we went to the gift shop, and the guy wrote down everything we bought in longhand, dictated it to another guy who wrote it on a piece of paper, which I've kept, because it's in longhand, and he wrote everything we bought. So it was, like, one Ganesh, right? Two, two elephants, one menagerie, I swear to God. One Buddha, you know. Um, and... Uh, I bought Morgan, uh, our tour manager has a little daughter, and I bought her a little menagerie of Indian painted animals. Anyway, yeah. this is a Ganesh, and it's a psychedelic Ganesh. I don't know if you can see it. It's cool. in many colors, and it's springing out of a lotus. It's the elephant-headed god, as you can see. And But the color, really? This was at the gift shop. I don't know if you've ever been to like the Rock and Roll Museum in Cleveland, but there's nothing like this there. I mean... <laughs> Who wants a picture of Eric Carmen from the raspberries when you can have a psychedelic Ganesh? We gave one to our friend Jim and he keeps it in his uh, loo because it's so exciting. This one I've showed you many times on Instagram. This is a glitter elephant from that same uh, gift shop. It's, I know, right? And the guy wrote one glitter elephant on the thing, on the note, which I kept. It's just fantastic. By the way, these weren't like, you know, $5,000 each. These are not priceless jewels. It's just so much fun to still have a memory of the place. And um, all the Muslim women came by and they were wearing um, dark colors. And then the Hindu women came by in a group and everyone was in pink and yellow and robin and vermilion and chartreuse. Just fantastic. It's such a amazing astonishing place uh and as uh, my friend daya who i'm playing new year's eve with at the punchline by the way i'm doing new year's eve at the punchline if anyone's coming to san francisco i'll be there that weekend and yes we'll do the podcast live there but i'll be doing stand-up um daya's fa family is hindu and she's like uh, my family's from india and our gods fly in the air and have sex with humans and stuff and what's jesus superpower he's sad <laughs> this is my favorite favorite joke what he's sad a lot because he died he's sad our, our gods fly in the air and have sex yeah just fantastic and then you're like and then she's like Jesus comes to the thing and you're like cheer up <laughs> what was her other great line oh yeah the bible so all the women in it are either whores or virgins yeah, that one I love. Um, she's like, we, we cover the ground. So anyway, uh, it's not a gift that someone gave me, but it is a, something that I love. This is one, the one last one I'll show you here. Uh, the, and I can't remember the, where this one came from either, but it's just fantastic. It's a hand-knitted kitten's McTavish. And it's super scrunchy. So you can, you can make it go like, Greg... Tonight's show has been rambling and diffuse. Who gives a shit about Magic Mike 1? Why don't you talk about something that humans like? Kittens, if you don't like the show, you don't have to be here. I have to be here. But the audience can leave any time they like. Please don't say that. We want them to stay. Why should they stay? There's good television on. The Masked Singer's on. 
<laughs> Someone pointed out on Twitter the other day, you want to try to solve politics in America and you want to convince people that science works and whatnot and that they should get vaccinated. But just remember there's three mask singer programs on. Mm -hmm. So kind of hard to move that. Uh, Melvin Van Peebles was actually named Melvin Peebles and he went to Holland. He was a black writer, filmmaker, musician, and uh, author. He also had four different Broadway shows, some of which were musicals, one about reggae, and was a director that of a movie that he made on his own when he was turned down by the studios called Sweet, um, Sweetback's Badass Song. When it came out, it was rated X, and if you watch the preview or the movie, um, he used that because X was a big deal in 1971. It meant no one under 18 could go to the movie at all. It was only for adults, adults only. Meaning in those days, the inference was pornography because those were the kind of movies that were rated X. And so he put on the rating, the Motion Picture Association still does the ratings. I'm sure you see them. Um, the X rating, it says under it, rated X by an all white jury. <laughs> and the movie's dedicated to brothers and sisters who want to stick it to the man. It is the greatest. He made it on his own and he had to raise the money on his own. And the movie made, it opened in one theater in Detroit and another in like Atlanta. And it made $10 million. Then they gave him a Hollywood deal. And he made another movie called Watermelon Man. And then his son is Mario, who's made lots of pictures. And, um... Without uh, Melvin Van Peebles, who, by the way, studied in France and went to the Cinematheque and got a, a, a huge grant there and made a movie called The Story of a Three-Day Pass, which is an interracial movie. And American distributors were terrified of it, but it was an, a famous movie when I was a little kid because it was the story of a black um, Air Force guy who goes on a three-day pass and has a love affair with a white woman and what that's like. It's about racial relations, how he's treated afterward, what it's like for him to go back to the Air Force and how the Air Force views it. It's real interesting and really provocative and thoughtful. And so that's why they didn't want to give him a movie deal. And um, uh, he uh, got Earth, Wind & Fire to do the soundtrack um, of the movie. And the reason why he was able to hype this movie before it came out was he released the soundtrack first and it's one of their first albums when they, I don't even know if they were called Earth, Wind & Fire then. They were by the time the album came out. And they were a much different sounding group. Mm -hmm. um, and then the picture came out and by word of mouth in the black community, people already knew about the movie. And then the X rating really, really um, helped at the time because it got, here, let's see here. Julian Bond, who was the head of the NAACP said, it was like, wow, you'd never seen a movie like that before. You'd never seen a black guy beat up the police and get away. And then Melvin and people said, I wanted to make a movie that black people could walk out of standing tall. And then this is my favorite one about his movies. And he made several movies. And as I say, had four Broadway shows and was nominated for Tony's and wrote a book when he was a cable car operator in San Francisco in the 50s that got him fired because the guy who ran the cable car department didn't think black people should read or write. Oh. Um, he wrote, personally, I do movies the way I cook. I put in what I like in case nobody else likes it and I have to eat it for the rest of the week. <laughs> um, also, I knew that his name was Melvin Bad Peebles because he's a famous 
I was 11 when the movie came out. And then right when that movie came out, came out Shaft by Gordon Parks Jr. And then a year or two after that, um, Superfly, also by Gordon Parks Jr. And then a million movies, Cotton Comes to Harlem and uh, Coffee, uh, Fox, Foxy Brown and Coffee with Pam Greer and, you know, uh, Cleopatra Jones, the whole genre of black exploitation. Um, and I bought the Superfly album when I was in junior high because I wanted to be cool. And... He started it all, really, without Gordon Parks and Melvin Van Peebles. But what about the politics? Oh, well, his movies are political, and um, his whole thrust was uh, to, up, up, uh, to intellectualize people and to get them to think about what was going on. One of his Broadway plays, for instance, um, was called uh, Reggae, A Musical Revelation, and he only wrote the book to that one. But then he wrote Waltz of the Stork, and he wrote all the music and, um, for that one as well. And Mario, who you may remember from the movie Posse and New Jack City, appeared in drag in that play. Also, Mario is in Sweet Badass, uh, Sweet Sweetback's Badass song. He plays Baby Badass in it. His son is Baby Badass in the movie. He also did a children's school break special for CBS called The Day They Came to Arrest the Books. I don't know if you remember it if you were a kid in the 80s. Um, Anyway, what I was going to say was he moved to Holland and that's when he added the van. His name is not Van. He added Van. His name is Van. He gave himself the name of Van Peebles. And this is what I love. To sound more Dutch. Anyway, uh, he's a fantastic uh, figure uh, in American film. And without him and Ossie Davis and Gordon Parks and so many... What were we watching last night? Oh... Uh, Truck Turner with Isaac Hayes as the star, mm-hmm. an American international movie from 74. And he'd already done the soundtrack to Shaft, which was a, a, a gigantic hit for Gordon Parks and made a start of Richard Roundtree. And this movie was a, a, a wild attempt to play off the back of Shaft where Isaac Hayes plays a guy who's vengefully trying to hunt down a pimp played by Yafit Kado. Um, I wouldn't say there's, it's loaded with great dialogue or anything, um, and the, but it was awesome to see Isaac Hayes acting. Mm-hmm. Uh, because you, what about the Hudland brothers? Oh, well, the Hudland brothers, uh, th- there's no Hudland brothers without uh, Melvin Van Peebles and all of the filmmakers I was talking about, Ossie Davis and Gordon Parks Jr. Um, there's no Ava DuVernay, there's no Barry Jenkins um, because he sets the ball rolling they weren't giving Hollywood contracts. I think when he made Sweet Badass, um, there was a filmmaker whose name I'm blanking on, Michaud, who'd made a picture in the 40s, was the last black filmmaker that had had Oscar? a Hollywood film uh, released, I'm not kidding, right. until the 70s. And so um, when they started making movies and the movie started making tons of money, then it was like, oh. And then as you recall, of course, John Singleton in the 80s and, and Spike Lee were able to kind of... Um, carry on that awesome tradition. It wasn't easy, and I think that's what we're still dealing with all the time, of course, that, that there's not that many... We're only on the second Black Panther sequel, let me put it that way. Uh, and we should have been way, way past that. Yes, what do you... Yeah, Oscar Michaud. Oscar Michaud was a black filmmaker from uh, the 30s and 40s. Um, he was the last filmmaker to get one in. So... Uh, I wanted to say uh, Melvin Van Peebles is irreplaceable and is not only swirling in the heavens, my understanding is he's directing what's going on in the heavens 
and uh, <laughs> writing the soundtrack for it as well with Gordon Parks, who was also a musician, and then taking the still photography for it and then writing a book of it as well. Uh, Jane Powell was a, a dancer and was in Royal Wedding and fantastically Seven Brides for Seven Brothers. She lived to be, oh my God, 92? Mm-hmm. It's a triumph. Uh, if you watch the old movies on MGM or the MGM old movies, uh, you'll see Jane Powell. And awesomely, when I was a little kid, um, she had an exercise machine that she sold on TV. And I can't bloody remember the name of it. And um, just, what were you going to say? Oh, I thought someone remembered the name of it. Of course you remember everything else and correct me. But no one can remember the name of Jane Powell's exercise machine. And everyone's like, it's not that relevant. And you, uh, my answer to you is, I love cinema. Huh? Anyway, she did an ad for it on TV all the time. And she'd go, hi, I'm James Powell, Jane Powell. And this is the exercise or whatever. And she was always really trim. And she married this awesome actor named Dickie Moore, who became an agent. And he's in a movie called Out of the Past with Robert Mitchum, which I think we've shown in the film club. If we haven't, we should. Uh, and uh, that's where uh, I take my leave of you. You guys have been the smartest crowd in the world. I have been the smartest man in the world. Oh, right. The Nightmare Before Christmas is at the uh, Hollywood Bowl on the 29th and the 31st. We added a show on Halloween. And it's good. Yeah, woohoo indeed. Um, I don't know if Catherine's going to be there, but Danny's definitely singing his part. Ken Page is going to be Oogie Boogie. And Weird Al Yankovic is singing Shock. What? Don't ask. I just, I have no idea. You've been the smartest crowd. Whoa! You've been the smartest crowd in the world. I've been the smartest man in the world. May every page you turn for you be a, a satchel page. May every bell that rings you be a cool Papa Bell. And may every song that you hear be a sweet, sweet back, badass song. I leave you with earth, wind, and fire and wish you nothing but love. We'll see you on the road. Cheers, you guys. 